the community behind it could be so pissed off that there's a Starbucks there and not like, you know, mom and pop's diner shop that's been there for a hundred years that they'll be like, I'm never going to that Starbucks. This is not necessarily game theory, but have you ever seen that happen? Everyone complains about the Walmart coming in, but the minute the Walmart opens up, they're the first up, ones there. It's 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 doing you know two thousand dollars a square foot in business. That was then. This is now. That was then. This is now. That's so four hundred one Liberty. That's so four hundred one Liberty. <laughs> that is a perfect way to get started. That was so 401 Liberty. Welcome to uh, Trade Secrets with Team Totem. We're back to just the original crew. No guests today uh, because we are celebrating the first podcast in our new space at 424 Duquesne, one gateway, overlooking the Allegheny River in PNC Park, which uh, it's a good day today. As soon as we finish up the podcast, we're going to get out on that river and enjoy a Morgan Wallen concert. So pretty psyched about the afternoon ahead of us and so excited to have you guys back. This is gonna be, like I said, our first one without a guest. Uh, so we're gonna get back to the roots of what's going on here at Totem. And um, before we get started, if you have enjoyed what you've been listening to on the podcast, please give us a like on Spotify or YouTube or even that dirty word, Apple. I guess they have it as well. Um, <laughs> it is what it is for all you Android Are users. Are we on Apple, actually? That's a I question. I think so. Yeah. But either way, stick to Spotify and YouTube and Android. Um, and LinkedIn. Pay attention to the posts there. So today um, we're going to talk about game theory, which we'll get into in a second. So hopefully you're interested in that. One of our clients, Adam Lazanga from Cohen. Got to give him a shout out. He suggested that we have that as the topic du jour. And I'm pretty excited about it. Don't know that I would have come up with it myself because we don't talk about game theory here very often. I mean, we do a lot. I feel like we, we do, do a lot, lot of game though. theory, but we don't talk about it in the context of like the definition of not, game theory. Yeah, because there's no. not a right answer. I mean, it's. We I don't think this, do game theory in its purest sense. Game theory is a mathematical. Right. Well, we're going to get into that. So, game but also, theory. there's not a right. It's. I think it's interesting because. It's funny that we haven't thought of it as a topic on the podcast before, but it, I can also see why, because the podcast started as like a, I mean, before it was a podcast, it started with us drinking bourbon and me asking both of you questions about the industry, but if you ask seven people a question about game theory and how to approach something that's kind of like a, a negotiation or a, a choose your adventure, like you're going to get seven different answers, so... Um, I'm sure we will come to absolutely zero consensus around the course of this podcast. But but it came up be because we typically don't ask our clients what their game theory is. But in this particular case, which we'll get into, I mentioned game theory to Adam. He's like, that should be your next podcast. So we ran with it. So we're excited about it. Um, but you can see the new digs. We've got the jukebox. Um, come visit us. We're super excited about the space. And... Um, the last piece of opening kind of remarks is today we're trying Old Tub. It's a first for the podcast. We have not tried this one yet. Uh, Michael will Vanna White it later, I'm sure. But uh, more importantly, check out these glasses, these, these tumblers. Uh, they're from the Simon Pierce 
Crystal Factory in Deep Creek. <laughs> Matt, we're gonna do a lot of loud noises today. <laughs> Matt's gonna be mad because this weighs about five pounds. Yes, the glass weighs about five pounds. We gotta give a little shout out to the Lisa, Riley clan. Yeah, Lisa they, and the kids. Yeah, surprised us with these for the the new space. So we're super excited. So cheers to you guys. Cheers. Starting off. Cheers. Did you hear that? Wasn't that a look? What? Listen to that. It's, I this know, is, I can't even. It sounds like without cool a doubt. It is fantastic. <laughs> oh, we're doing it again? Are you going to boom right Boom. <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Quick, <laughs> okay, That's a great class. And we're now going to focus on briefer podcasts. We were a little long in the tooth previously. So. <laughs> exactly, right? Oof. That's, Sorry. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. But, I liked it the first time I had it. I just haven't had bourbon in a very long time. Yeah. So I, I decided I'm going to read this definition of game theory from Wikipedia, our friends at Wikipedia. Game theory is the study of mathematical models, Michael, of strategic interactions among rational agents. And I can't wait to talk about that. Rational agent. <laughs> can we get a definition of a rational a, agent? That, that was my first point, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has applications in all fields of social science as well as logic, system science, and computer science. The concepts of game theory are used extensively in economics as well. The traditional methods of game theory addressed two-person zero-sum games, also very interesting to me zero-sum games, in which each participant's gains or losses are exactly balanced by the losses and gains of the other participants. Um, in the 21st century, the advanced game theories apply to a wider range of behavioral relationships. It is now an umbrella term for the science of logical decision-making in humans, animals, as well as computers. So, with that mouthful, I'll let you guys give kind of your two cents about game theory and then we'll dive into the things that fascinate me. You can skip me. <laughs> you had notes? Of course I had notes. So game theory, what do you think? And how, let's make it specific to how it applies to real estate, right? Um, well, I, I don't think it's going to apply to real estate well, simply because the first word that you threw out there was rational actors. <laughs> no, Do you hear that, Charlie? <laughs> well, no, it's, right. uh, real estate is in and of itself, it's, it's not filled with rational actors and the whole concept of game theory, it's, a, it's an attempt to model to make an imperfect market perfect. Right. Okay, and so perfect markets are, they're rare and I, part of my notes are perfect markets have identical goods, nothing in real estate is identical. Um, they have a large number of buyers and sellers. That's the only thing that actually fits this model. There's complete transparency of pricing, okay? And there's no preference among the buyers, right. as well as there's no barrier to entry. That, that's the last description of what real estate is. Real estate has all of those things. and then Except you, for lots of buyers. It has lots of buyers, and, but in, at times it has... Supply, oversupply and over-demand, right. which is in... It's, in not a, a, it's not a perfect... It's just simply not a perfect market, and so that you're trying to balance these things. Now, the market finds a way to make it work, but I don't necessarily know that it's, it's a really predictable mathematic equation of how you would approach it. That's my initial thought regarding game theory. 
And, I, and I as mean, it relates to real estate. As it relates to real estate, um, I think there's other things. It's probably a pretty good social predictor, but it it would be interesting to actually take transactions and forensically run them through a, a game theory model and see if there's how we but see But I that. also think it's oh, it's excellent. not... Go ahead. It's not... Um, it's not just a game. There are longer lasting implications of real estate decisions. Um, the people who play in that arena, um, there are social implications. So it's not really a zero sum game. Like there are lasting impacts. Um, you can't just play the game to see like we have to win. You also have to balance out um, what are the impacts of this decision, not just right now and, and what's good for right now, but what's going to be good years down the road. And it's not just two players in the game. There are community implications and social implications and um, you know ethical implications for these decisions. So I think that game theory can be one way that you can assess um, a negotiation or one component of decision making but i definitely think that in today's world that can't be the only way that you make decisions for those reasons all right so i've got some like really interesting questions now to both of you we'll start with Paige. so you kind of just said there can't just be winners and losers right um, I don't think it's absolute. I don't always think there's an absolute winner and an absolute loser. I think there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of shades of gray in that. Okay, but what if our client is like, I want to win this negotiation? But what does? But I'm saying there's not a clear cut definition of what does winning the negotiation mean. Right. There are a lot of components. So to, you can't just look at the mathematical statistics of something and be like this is a winner there it happens, are a like lot our clients of do say that to us right like i want to win yeah well well i think the but and it's only that's only helpful when they i mean we obviously everyone wants to win in their own mind but figuring out what does winning in their own mind mean it, and then measuring that with what we would perceive winning in the market means right perceiving what winning for the community around whatever project means. So I just think there are so many. As counsel to uh, a, a client, okay, the first thing that you have to find out, the definition of winning, is you have to define the variables. If we're gonna to stick to some kind of mathematical formula, you have to know all the different factions of it. So winning to them, you can actually have someone win from uh, the, perspective of let's just say a tenant versus a landlord you can have someone win as a tenant and you can have a landlord have somewhat of a win you can also have it completely the other way around so you have to define what the variables are and what those guys think that's i'm agreeing that i mean that's what's so fascinating i was in cleveland today on a tour with a client who's a tenant and i wasn't talking about game theory per se but i used the example which i think is relevant like there's a lot of tenants who think the lowest rent is winning. And no. he had the disposition that he wanted the lowest rent. He's moving into the Cleveland market from a different market. And he's like, where can I get the cheapest rent? And In I use the shittiest space. Well, so I, I use the example. I said, so what if the cheapest rent, the air conditioning only works when it's 70 degrees or lower outside? 
Like, did you really win? Which is, I think, a very simple way of saying why game theory maybe isn't perfect for the real estate negotiation. But it is an interesting concept because the mentality of the the client is I want to win or I want to know in the game theory what's my best outcome. And I was a I was a pain in the neck when I was young in this business because I thought that things were black and white. And I think it's fascinating that Paige has been in the business for three years and she's already talking about shades of gray. Um, because it probably took me 15 years to figure it out. No, and I would I would agree with everything that we've all said here is that there's so many moving parts to real estate and the game itself is evolving. You know, you, you mentioned the outside, the community players and everything like that. I would almost look at them as spectators because they're not directly involved in the game. Ha, are they aren't? But they have a control. They have, they have a control. You have, been to, you have been to municipality meetings. <laughs> once, once the die has cast, once a building is up, once a, a tenant is, is making a decision, these things, they don't have impact on that. And they're going to be affected by the game. They, they certainly have control over it prior to being constructed. But or even if they're, if they're opposed to a development, the development still happens. We were just talking to other clients about this the other night. They're opposed to something that a company has done or a developer has done, and then they they refuse to go to any anything ever developed on that site. Like that can still impact it. Even even if someone builds a Starbucks on your corner, the community behind it could be so pissed off that there's a Starbucks there and not like you know mom and pop's diner shop that's been there for a hundred years that they'll be like i'm never going to that starbucks this is not necessarily game theory but have you ever seen that happen everyone complains about the walmart coming in but the minute the walmart they're the first up, ones there it's 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 doing you know two thousand dollars a square foot in business it's so, it, <laughs> i think yeah, that's why in the definition of yeah. game theory the first thing that rules it out relative to real estate is rational agents. <laughs> They're completely irrational. You have landlords who are trying to make the most money possible, tenants who are trying to pay the least amount possible, and a community who by and large, and one of our podcasts early on was about NIMBYs, by and large the community is anti-real estate. I mean... Anti-change. Yeah, anti-change and anti-development, so therefore anti-real estate. Mm -hmm. So without going into all the other players in a deal, we've only talked about landlord, tenant, and the community, none of them are acting rationally. No, none of them. Right, and I think the totem philosophy, and the page you pointed it out, is the zero-sum game concept is not good for the long-term benefit of the client. Like, if our client's the landlord or the tenant, if they play a zero-sum game, they might have one at the lease execution, but by the end of that relationship, whether they're the tenant or the landlord, they're going to have lost, is I think our fundamental philosophy. So I think we're all in agreement that game theory is not the perfect use of real estate, but it, I think there's three kind of things that we might differ in opinion on um, as it relates to real estate and game theory. So AI, everybody's talking about it, it's gonna change the world. I do think it's changing the world as we speak. Um, but AI probably would use game theory to solve a real estate negotiation. So my question to both of you is, over the course of your career, and I realize your careers are different in length probably before you retire, 
will AI be the negotiation tool for a real estate deal? Wow. Um, um, will no. it put us out of business? No. No. Why not? Uh, rational actors. People that just simply, or the people that actually do affect decisions at this level, um, I don't think they're going to let a computer make their decision. A uh, piece of software, I just think there's too many outside factors regarding the human component of that because the people that make decisions obviously have egos, they have, you know, there's personality. There's personality, there's that wonderful G word, greed, that's involved. I mean, you got a lot of moving parts there that I don't necessarily know. I don't know enough about AI that it takes it and can blend it into that perfect secret sauce and come up with an answer. They might be similar, but they're not going to be the same. And so I don't see that being something that the decision will be made by that. Certainly will be an input. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be something that people will use to like cross reference with like their gut. Um, or they'll they'll put it through AI, see what AI spits out, and then find their own version of what they desire. Because you know AI, and it might be easier with in certain situations to use AI for something like that. Like you have an old obsolete building, you just want to get rid of it. There's not a huge demand for it, so plugging it in, like there might be no love lost. You know. Having that, it's, it's some. I think of it as like a ten x auction in some ex, some situation. Like there's not a huge necessarily buyer pool for an asset, so let's just take it to auction and see how it bids out. I think of AI as like that. Like I, when there's I, not really when there's not like Road, high emotions. When there's not high emotions or an array of options, I think that. AI could go back and forth and figure out a reasonable transact price. But if there are a lot of options and there are a lot of, you know, divergent paths that a project could go down, I think ultimately, like, people will want to know what AI would say about the value of a project or how a, a problem should be solved. But I think that you still have to account for it. it's a give and take between the two sides. So I, I don't think it will ever replace people who do what we do. I kind of want to put this on the shelf in a way that I can come back to it, like a time capsule in 20 years. Like what if the computer, and I, I realize this is insane to say out loud, but what if the computer owned the building and the computer is representing the tenant and then the computer literally just runs a formula to decide where the deal should be? Like that is preposterous to think about, but... Who knows what happens there? I also think, to page your point, our client, uh, Cohen, who uses the word game theory a lot and also has kind of broached into AI to make decisions for them um, using some really sophisticated technology to help them. How many gallons of gas are we going to sell? They've let a computer give them that answer and they still don't trust it. They still are trusting their gut first, right? So they're using AI, but still, and maybe it's because it's so new, you know, maybe in 20 years it won't be so new, 
But every time AI says you're going to sell this many gallons, they still say, well, I don't know about that. Well, had, do they have any empirical, empirical data that says that the AI was right or wrong? That's, no, they don't. They don't. And, and I think that kind of goes back to, I would shorten your time capsule. I would like to see what AI is going to say in a year, in, in two years. years, in five years, because I think that the amount of uh, the advancement that it will occur is completely exponential. Yeah. And so we don't know what conversations we're going to be having in a year or two years all based on this. And I think game theory for them definitely will be something that that, that is used or factored in. I. I, it's just, like I said, there's so many moving parts regarding this. Mm -hmm. Is it right, right or is yeah. it wrong? So let's dig into like a super specific example. Um, the broker fee. We've talked about it. Who pays it? Landlord pays it. Tenant pays it. Like not so much the who is paying it. It's when you're negotiating the brokerage fee or the real estate advisor fee. Do you, you know, the 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 historical norm right is that the landlord pays the fee, or the seller pays the fee. So, buyer comes to a piece of property that's unrepresented and not for sale, right, and knocks on the door and says, "I want to buy your property," and oh by the way, I have a broker. Um, and you're negotiating, negotiating, negotiating. But then it comes down to who's going to pay the broker. Because I wasn't listing this property. I had no intention to sell it. There's no marketing fund to pay for the broker fee. But you, buyer, came to me and said, I want you to pay my real estate agent. And it could be a serious sum of money. So in game theory, what's the best way to respond to that buyer? Like, I could make the argument that the buyer is so used to the seller paying the fee that the seller should say, sure, we'll pay his fee, but just increase the price of the property by that fee. Okay, if game theory is based on economic models and true economic theory, mm -hmm. it would introduce the concept of moral hazard. And the concept of moral hazard would say that whoever's paying that person, they, would, they should be acting as a fiduciary. Provided, of course, that they're not the one who is the ultimate beneficiary between buyer and seller. I mean, would, I think that's a whole separate conversation. Well, that is part of economic theory, though, that they would introduce that component of it. And, I mean, that's just how the economics would look at this. And I think that that's clearly they would say that one side would have to be represented and the other side would have to be re represented and the fee would be paid by the person who is receiving the services. But if you've decided to sell your property, like you're like, ah, I gotta get rid of this building, I don't wanna put it on the market. You hire somebody, you know you're gonna have to pay a fee. Right, right. But and think of it in this, you're approached by, your building is not listed, you're approached by someone who wants to buy it. They have, they have offered a price for what they wanna pay for it. It does not include any kind of fee for the, person who currently owns the building's representation but now they're because of this offer they're going to have to engage some kind of professional representation because yeah of it doesn't offer. even just have to be an advisory fee right. it could be title survey like lots lawyers of different whatever fees. Right. yeah i mean i think that or 
or they risk they have now set a benchmark for a value of that property and then what happens if the current owner decides oh well you want to pay this much for our property now i want to take it out to the market and see if someone would be would be willing to pay a higher price so i think as someone who is soliciting an off-market property you should be willing to pay the fees all fees yes of anyone related to the deal which is why when we had this conversation in real life i disagreed with the way we went because i thought like yes we'll accept your offer at this but you need to then pay all of these fees makes them feel good because their offer has been accepted but then it does not require any additional out of pocket on from our you know from our client that would be the seller whereas i think that's not what ended up happening but, but the buyer's i was definitely when the two of you were talking about it that day i didn't say anything because that's a first by the way i yeah i was tired um but the but the buyer saying i would let's just i wonder if the listeners are going to be able to keep track of this saga because we're like talking about a very specific instance he's paying a million dollars for your ability to that's only worth five hundred thousand let's say the numbers are consequential okay let's say it's a million dollars he wants to buy my property for a million dollars i'm going to pay you a million dollars to buy your property that assumes that what i'm buying is your property and your ability to transfer it to me in a fee simple manner okay you know what they no say about assuming michael so no no but that would assume from the buyer's perspective they don't want to know about the rest of that stuff they don't want to know about attorney's fees or title or serve that's they don't want to know anything about that they want to say they I'm are buying the ones your property. that spurred this conversation understand understood but that it when you go back to it then it's say the buyer's saying okay he's going to sell it to me now you have the okay now i have to prove what you're giving me that would mean that those costs are all on the seller on the on the purchaser side but the the seller has to be able to provide all those things to that person so in the million not dollars not necessarily they on, could so, have said kick rocks we're yeah, not so, selling it kick rocks jeez yeah, they so, could say, as they on. always can say what's our safe word to make that noise stop i forget bourbon bourbon old tub um <laughs> not get from the peanut gallery comes pineapple oh my god all right so old tub um the property <laughs> the property is a million dollars okay and the buyer's willing to pay it seller's willing to sell it but there's all of the fees in the game theory if you're negotiating on behalf of the seller should it be a million dollars plus fees or should it be a million dollars and the seller eats their fees so let's one just word. say like nope. No, no, it's not. Uh, a one, no, it's not a one-word no, no, no. answer. No, I'm just trying to clarify the. Yeah, like, just a, I'm just trying to better clarify the question you're answering. So, do you counter? So, are are you countering by saying yes, we'll accept a million dollars, but you need to pay all of my fees, all of our fees for our attorneys. That so you need to pay an additional forty-six thousand dollars. Sure. We'll just call it fifty thousand dollars. So I. Or are you countering and saying? We won't take a million for the property, but then, but we are going to counter your offer at a million fifty thousand, so that you're raising the price that they would pay for it. Because also, think about this: it's advantageous if you counter and agree to the price they've offered without the fees, because if they buy it for a higher price, that raises 
the prop that raises the value, like it will get reassessed at a percentage off of that additional sum of money. Right. Whereas if you just say, yes, we'll take a million, but you need to pay all of our fees for the sell side, representation, lawyers, whatever, on top of that, you still have a million dollar property purchase, not a million dollar, 50,000. So everybody wins, maybe. I I don't understand whether whether game theory doesn't include these components to it. Where where, where did that part come from? What? I don't understand where the the fee component of it is not inside or outside any kind of transaction. It's like no, I think pays. it's I think it's the question is just you're on one side of the equation. Uh-huh. In this side we're the seller. Um, is the game theory to get the million dollars plus fees or to get a million fifty thousand so that the buyer feels like in the normal course, seller should have paid those fees. So now I feel better about it, and sure, I'll pay a million. So your days. definition of success is net this amount of money. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't really know that it is game theory because game theory is very like statistic, mathematical modeling, and this is not. This is a. We're trying to gauge the perception of how this will be received by the party on the other side. Which is what we do every day, which is why I think yeah. the game theory is interesting. So next very specific thing before we wrap it up. Um, so in real estate, you either are usually making a proposal, like I will buy this from you, or I'll lease this from you, and here's what I'm willing to pay. Or... I want to lease this from you, I want to buy this from you, and I'm requesting a proposal, right? So which is the better outcome? Again, better outcome being for the party that we are representing. Are we asking for proposals or are we giving proposals? I think it depends. On what? On... I 100% agree it depends, but on what? I think it depends on... I'm trying to think of like specific examples of this, but I think it depends on whether or not the property is, is listed. Um, if there are similar properties to that that we can pretty closely benchmark um, our client, does our client have a very specific budget in which they could do this um i think if it's a distressed asset in some way that makes a difference um i think that there are a lot of external factors that would dictate how we approach that and typically do dictate how we approach that i i the first thing i would say it depends on markets i think it's different in boston versus chicago versus dallas versus albuquerque versus Boko Botswana. I mean, I really do think that that's part of it. Um, I think there's advantages if there's a market where you want to say, we uh, we are very interested in this and you start to deal with this group. How many people are involved in the uh, request that you're soliciting? It, it's an, That's another one of the variables. And I think See, that's one of the things that AI, I mean, I'm sure with like machine learning, AI will, will could eventually get there. But 
the nuance of determining when to make the first offer or when to ask for a number is something that I think sometimes it is just like a gut read. I don't know. I don't think AI will have that capability just with the numerical data inputs that it has. It's fascinating. My old man was trained in the art of negotiation that whoever shoots first loses. And I used to believe that. I did used to think that whoever put the number on the table first lost. But now throughout all of the work we've done, I do think it's gray area. I do think this is why game theory is not relative to real estate. Because I think there are situations where if you shoot first, sometimes you end up winning because you controlled the conversation versus having the conversation dictated back to you. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes I, I it depends on who's making the ask. The Well, at, at a point in time, that was considered to be, oh, this is how we approach it. Right. Times change. Things change. Markets change. And... And I think it's stays just the same. No. no, I think no, I think that Oof. you have to. I, I think that you have to. It, it, it's it's constantly in flux. Is this yeah. the, should I be saying this is where I want to start from? Because the, the the first shot is never where you're going to end. Unless the first shot is this is the shot, and if you don't take it, I'm not interested. Yeah. <sighs> Which is, is usually that, where I think that taking the first shot works. Uh, when I you mean, just I, determine this is what I'm willing to pay. If you don't like it, I'm going to move on. And that's why I think it, de- it it depends who's making the ask. Because if you are going after an unlisted building, you're making the first ask. So if you're going to make that first step in the solicitation, you should be putting forth a price. Like Because if you're not willing to give a price, you want to say, hey, I want to buy this building, the first price you're going to get back from the current owner is probably going to be bonkers because they don't know you from a can of paint they don't know how serious and how legitimate you are like i think almost if you like go in with a if you go in first with a credible offer you're more likely to even get engagement for something that's not currently being marketed whereas if you have a client that you've been touring through office spaces that are on the market you can pretty closely benchmark. I mean, you kind of have an idea, depending on the asset class, the location, the market, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what this a going rate would be within five, ten percent, maybe fifteen percent. So I think that's different. If it's being marketed, that's one thing because they've already engaged someone to help them sell, lease, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas if you're just some Joe Schmo going up and being like, oh, I want to buy your property. Like, how often does that happen? People call us, well, maybe not for us, but we have clients that people will call on them and say, hey, you want to sell me that? And it's a great piece of property. They're like, I'll give you $200,000 for it. Right. It's like not realistic. So I think your, your likelihood of actually having true engagement when you're making an ask for something off market is better if you put forth the offer first so that they know that you're legit. Sure. I, I would agree with that. I think that right. I think most people... It's going to no. be a wrap. No, <laughs> that's it, not guys. a wrap. <laughs> I, I would agree with that part of it, but then there's also people that think that that's your, your lowball offer too. And so... It, I'm not it, saying it, like the conversation said, ends there, but... It's just, it's, there's, 
there, like I said, there's just too many variables regarding this. There's, I do think that that's the bottom line. Like, there's just too many variables for the the scientific approach of game theory. Now, I think game theory is a loose term for what's the art of the negotiation, and that's different than the technical definition of game theory. And I think that I am so happy that Adam asked us to talk about this because. It's something that we live every day but don't really pay attention to because it's just almost like, you know, brushing your teeth. I would, it just I would, happens. I, it is fascinating, though, because I'd like to see the results of actual data versus perspective data. And I think that the data is just not there. Um, it would be nice to, I, I, I do think you could con reconstruct it forensically and saying, okay, let's If you could see. get access to every lease that was ever signed and every single term in it. And who paid with, with for who paid everything what? on yeah. each side. Well, I think the well, imperfect information. <laughs> do, 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 you could do it with, a, not every lease that was ever signed, but with, with perspective of a transaction, I think you could look back and forth between where did we start, where did we end, and see did it truly come down to the middle? Did they meet in the middle? Was there some winner, some loser? Oh, God, that's a worse than Meet in the middle? middle. I mean, financially, that's a waste. Let's do it total. I didn't say... Chalk that, that up, Kelsey. We're going to do a podcast say, about meeting in the middle. I didn't say meet in the middle. I, I have said, a book for you, Michael. <laughs> Pardon? The book I'm reading about negotiation is called Never Split the Difference. No, I mean, All that's right. that's that's All not right. where I said that. That's not how you're interpreting the wrong Let's way. wrap it up. Where did it land is, is my question. Old tub. And the <laughs> Old tub. You in or you out? This is, you're getting a, this is the sound. No, I, I thought it was okay. Um, Jim Beam product. Didn't realize that. But, um, yeah, it was good. I didn't, uh, I'm not jumping up and down, but um, it wasn't bad. Thoughts? So I have had this before and I really liked it. I have not had really any hard liquor in two or three months and that was very jarring for me. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I don't I know would, if it's me or the bourbon. I would agree it's jarring, hence the non-refills. But um, if you enjoyed today, please like us, love us, click on the link below. I don't even know how you do any of that stuff. But we would love your support, and um, it's good to be back in the saddle with great. Team Paige yeah. <laughs> and Team Michael. Um, so I think we will continue to intersperse some guests every once in a while, but sometimes it's fun just to debate internally. And uh, if you're in town here in Pittsburgh and you want to come check out our new space, we would love to host you and pour you a glass of bourbon from the bourbon bar that you can see in the background. And with that, uh, a final cheers and let's go check out some more with this arm this time to balance my <laughs> muscles <laughs> all right trade secrets see you later take care look at that wow. under an hour how long was firing? that trade secret was it an hour Less. Less. Oh. I was